Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. There's a lot going on in the world, isn't there? I don't know if they've uh, figured out what's happened in New York City. Um, the stabbings that took place uh, recently, obviously yesterday, I believe it is. And I, This morning I turned on the news, and I don't know about you, but I, I tell you, every time you turn on the news, you're wondering what you're going to get. And uh, we're seeing this increase in intensity. There's no question that Islamic extremism is behind much of this. I mean, that's inarguable. We know that we're in a spiritual warfare, right? Amen? I heard the word leadership used this morning more than what I normally do. I mean, it was like in your face over and over and over and over again. This is a leader. This is how you lead. This is why you lead. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. Here's a good leader. Here's a bad leader. You know, all this kind of stuff. Here's what I did to lead when we went through this kind of stuff, and this is the way it should be done. And I mean, good grief. Some of that's very true. Some of it is very carnal. When we talk about leadership, what are we talking about? You know, when, when we talk about leadership, what does it mean to be a leader? And I think we have a supreme example, and that's Jesus Christ himself. And we talk about leadership, we can look to the Lord, and we certainly get a picture of what biblical leadership should look like, right? Not biblical leadership, but people following the word of God, walking biblically. How should a biblical leader conduct themselves? And, and leadership, the role of leadership is pervasive. It's, it's the mom at home with their children. It's the nursery worker with the child and, and embracing them and helping them. It's, it's the deacon who is role modeling leadership in terms of service. It's, it's the elder. It's the pastor. It's all across the board, K-group leaders. We've got all kinds of roles of leadership. And I think there's some fundamental issues here with regard to what leadership is, what it's not, um, we could do series after series after series on this and probably not exhaust the subject. Many, 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 many volumes have been written on what is leadership from a Christian perspective, from just a pragmatic perspective. I want to talk to you about uh, Christ's leadership. What did he role model for us? And I, I want to Put it in this framework, when we talk about the Lord and we talk about who he is, understand that the New Testament is very clear on this, that in and of our own strength, we can do nothing. And so when we talk about leadership, we can have all the principles before us, and we can even try to mimic them. We can even actually be walking in them. But unless God is transforming us from the inside out, then really we're talking about two different things. Christianity is an inside-out moment. It's not an outside-in. And so in the midst of what true leadership is, we've got to, first and foremost, be following the Lord. Because he's the supreme leader, and he's got to transform us. In fact, he's got to live his life in and through us. And so we've got to learn to die to self, and we've got to learn to say yes to him. We've got to learn to discern what's really of God and what's not. We've got to get into the word of God. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need to be transformed by grace in order to even walk in correctly the role of leadership. No question, and any role for that matter. There's three things that I want to just kind of point out, and again, this is a very 30,000-foot view. But a leader is one who, in following the Lord, learns to die to self and then begins to serve others. So 
First off, we have to look at the position of leadership, and we have got to look at it from the perspective of Christ and understand that he's the chief shepherd. He is the leader, right? He's not just a leader. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the body. He's the leader. If we're not connected to him, where are we going? What are we doing? We don't even have a clue. That's got to be first and foremost. That's got to be primary. That's got to be central to everything. The first question every leader ought to be asking is, what does the Lord say about this? What does God want to do in this? What does the word of God have to say about this? Where's the Lord leading? What do we discern about what God's doing? Not, what do we need to do? Yipes, what we need to do is pretty obvious. We need to die to self. We need to stop entertaining the idea that somehow we know better and we need to start following Christ. So his position is a preeminent position. It's an absolute position. It's not just something that we look at and say, well, let's mimic it or let's try to reduplicate it in some way or let's do this for God and then get him to bless it. We've got to submit to him and come under alignment to his leadership. Secondly, what's the Lord's motivation? And the Lord reveals that very clearly, it is that he is the supreme sacrifice. What did, what did he do? He went to the cross. He laid his life down, and we'll look at that. He gives us a picture of what it means really to be a leader, and that is to die to self. And thirdly, what is his action? What, what activity did he participate in all the time? And it was serving others. Was it ever about the Lord? Did he ever make it about himself? I think that's a fascinating thing. When you, he didn't deny who he is. He didn't say that he was something that he wasn't. He was, he was not falsely humble, which is just the flip side of arrogant pride. He, he told the truth about who he is, but he, he constantly walked in such a way where he was serving others. Everything he did, everything he did was a picture for us in order to understand his motive, his heart, and who he truly is. Everything. So first of all, his position, he's the chief shepherd. The Lord's the leader, he's the head, the chief shepherd. First Peter 5, 4, such a beautiful verse on this. And when the chief shepherd appears, Peter's writing and he's, and he's, he's alluding to some of the elders and he actually includes himself in the group and he, and he makes it clear. He's, we see this transition from Acts into the epistles where the apostles were apostles. They helped found the church. They were, the church is built upon them. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. But in the midst of that, they begin this transition from apostles to elders. And you can see that very clearly, Peter being a prime example. Rather than saying, I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's now starting to say in his writing that I am a fellow elder. So there's a transition here, and it's fascinating to watch. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, that word chief means the first one, the one of preeminence, the one of absolute authority. I don't have time, but if we went into all the different ways in which the Lord is called the first, and we looked at all the different words which have the indicator of being primary, what you would find is that he's not just saying that the Lord has been placed into a position of primary importance, but rather that inherently within him, because of who he is, he is automatically in that position, and that's essential to understand. Jesus didn't do anything in order to get that position. He already owns it. <laughs> it's just been revealed to us that that's actually who he is. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. He's talking about elders at that point. 
And he's talking about serving faithfully. Colossians 1, 17 through 18 is a phenomenal passage. But in it, he's talking about the Lord, and he says he is before all things. Paul, in writing about this, is declaring who Christ is. He's before all things. In other words, he is the first. He's the primary one. He's out in front. And in him, all things hold together. The Lord's literally the one who holds everything together. And then he says he's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. In other words, to be revealed to already be in that position. It's not that he had to do something in order to have that position or to earn it or to find some way to deserve it, but rather he is the first. And by what he did on this earth and all the things that he did for us to picture and to reveal the reality of Christ, the reality of God, in the midst of that, we get to recognize something that God, through Christ, has made manifest. And that is that he's the preeminent one. He's before all things. So the position of the Lord is the chief shepherd. He's the head. He lays down his life for us. He leads the body. He's a ex supreme example of this, and you're, there's so many different ways that you could go in this. Let me just give you a, a few. When we look at the Lord and we look at his position and we recognize who he truly is and we begin to understand that and we begin to understand that everything that he did on this earth and everything that was recorded for us was so that we would have an understanding of the heartbeat of God and the motive of God, who he is, why he came, why we need him, and also to be able to discern whether we're actually walking in his strength, walking according to his ways, or our own. And when you look at the life of Christ, there are several things as a leader that he did all the time. He did not make nice with the spiritual elite. <laughs> That's the understatement of the world, isn't it? I mean, the Pharisees are fantastic, aren't they? And we are, folks, we are so much like them. It's amazing. Now, some of you get jabbed at that. Relax. I'm including myself at that. We're all that way. And if you don't think so, let's have a conversation. I'll take you to coffee. And I'll ask you some questions and we'll find out real quick. Okay? Do you know that the Pharisees were actually not the religious leaders per se? They were not the, the, the priests. They were lawyers. They were, in effect, middle-income kind of people. They weren't the most rich. They weren't the most wealthy. They were middle class. Do you know that they upheld the authoritative word of God? They believed in the inerrancy of Scripture. All of it. It's the Sadducees that didn't believe that. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not. I mean, I could go on and on and on. These guys. Do you realize they sent out missionaries? The Pharisees sent out missionaries. Incredible. And when we start to walk through this, it's amazing. Amazing, folks. Jesus, <laughs> I could say it in many different ways. Let me just say, he did not kiss up. <laughs> right? Secondly, he cared for the weak and the outcasts of society. I love what Danny Watley and John are doing. My glory, if a church cannot come alongside of you guys, I don't know what to say. We're in trouble. 
because shouldn't we be caring for those who are in need? That's absolute. Thirdly, he spoke truth that caused people to walk away. Think about that. He was not afraid of telling the truth. He knew exactly who he is. He knew exactly who his father is. He had no issue with saying the truth. He did it in kindness. Sometimes he did it sternly. Sometimes he did it in a rebuking way, an exhorting way, an admonition. You know, he would do all that. But when people began to walk away because he was saying hard things, he even turned to his disciples and said, you're going to go too? And I love Peter's statement. Where else are we going to go? <laughs> you got the words of life. He, he, he wasn't about trying to get a crowd when it comes to what he said. He spoke the truth. He knew the Father. He followed him precisely and perfectly. Think about that. He followed him precisely and perfectly. He never did anything out of his own initiative. Wow. We, we struggle with that all the time, especially when we put biblical things to it, right? We say, well, this is what God told us to do, so we're going to do it, and we're going to come up with this and that and the other thing, we're going to go do it. Oh, we got to be careful about that. Our heart may be right in it, and we may be sincerely correct, and we may even have biblical precedent for why we feel like we are supposed to do something. And it may be what God wants us to do, but we ought to make sure that we give deference to the Lord because the Lord knows how to do it better than we do, and the Lord certainly knows the timing of it better than we do. The Lord himself, on walking on this earth, role modeled to, that, he, to us. He never did anything out of his own initiative. He was always perfectly and precisely in alignment with his Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do everything that he did. And he role modeled to us what it means to really walk a life, a walk of faith. And he did it perfectly. We need Christ in us to accomplish that. But it's a good picture to us to remind us of what we're not versus who he is and what he, what he can do. And lastly, he laid down his life. He laid down his life. What a beautiful picture that is. While we were yet sinners, what did he do? He died for us. Right? And he gives his life for each and every one of us. He is the preeminent one. He is the leader. We need God's grace to change our hearts in order to walk by faith, in order to follow him, in order that his life would be seen through us no matter what role of leadership we're in. I don't care what level it is. The higher the level, it just means the more responsibility we have to walk with the Lord and to serve. That's all it is. Well, secondly, his motivation. Well, he's the supreme sacrifice. He laid down his life. The heart of a leader is always going to be sacrificial. It's not about us. It's not about self-gain. It's not about what we can get out of it. It's not about our glory. That should never be the case. It's always about God. It's always about his glory. It's always for his gain. And the Lord role modeled that wonderfully for us. John chapter 10, 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? Lays down his life for the sheep. How do you know false shepherds? They run when trouble comes. <laughs> They're out of there, right? I always like those Western movies when, when the bad guys hit and there's always somebody in the group that, that you, weren't, you weren't sure about, kind of a Judas factor, right? And all of a sudden the bad guys come and the, the going gets tough and what happens to that individual? out the door, man. All of a sudden, they're sneaking to the side, and I love the old black and white ones, right? Because they make it so obvious. You can see the guy looking around, and there he goes, right to the door, and all of a sudden, he's on his horse running, and the rest of the guys go, where'd he go? 
That's the idea. 1 John 3.16, he says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What a beautiful truth. When we're talking about uh, leadership, we're talking about a role modeling of the Lord for us. What did he do? He laid down his life for us. And, and as we're walking with the Lord by faith, being transformed by grace, and God in and through us begins to reveal himself, what's going to happen when we're truly walking with the Lord? We're going to lay our lives down for one another. Because that's just a picture of who God is. That's what he does. Because he's the true leader. Leadership Role models discipleship. Why? Because it always involves dying to self. True leaders are always going to learn to die to self. True leaders are always putting others first. True leaders are always making sure that it's not about them, but it's really about others. And so there's this role modeling. There's this picture of who Christ is. And it's really a role modeling of what discipleship is all about because fundamentally discipleship is a learning to die to self. And so when you look at leaders, you ought to get a picture of what it looks like to die to self. Why? Because if Christ is truly working in and through them, there will be a leading of that individual, no matter what the role may be, to place the interests of others over themselves. Well, thirdly, his action, what did he do? He served others all the time. The activity of a leader is to serve others. See, this is where we really become diametrically opposed to the ways of the world. Because the world, leadership becomes a climbing of the ladder in order to get more stuff and to have more power, therefore to get more credit and have more control. (laughs) That's what it is, right? I hate to put it simply like that, but that's the truth. Within the body of Christ, it's it's absolutely antithetical to that. The higher the level of leadership, the greater the service. And and I got to tell you, it's a challenge because I got flesh, elders got flesh, pastors got flesh, everybody's got flesh, and guess what we wrestle with? Control and credit. Right? We always do. There's no question about it. That's why it's God's transformative work in us. That's why it's God's transformative power in all of us. Because we need the Lord in order to walk in his ways. We need his strength. We need to be strengthened with his power in the inner man so that God in and through us and our activity and our actions and our attitudes would be revealed, specifically when it comes to leadership. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 9 through 12, there's such a beautiful statement here. In verse 9, actually in verse 8, he says, don't be called rabbis, meaning the teacher. Or in verse 9, he says, don't anyone uh, on earth, don't call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father. And he's not saying, uh, don't call somebody a teacher or, or don't call somebody a father. If, if, if he was saying that, we're all in trouble, dads, and, and those of us who are teachers, we're kind of in trouble, right? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, don't have the attitude as if you are the preeminent one. You are the authority on the subject. And he goes on and he makes this very clear in verse 10. Do not be called leaders. For one is your leader. That is who? Christ. Wow. We have a role of leadership. We're stewards. (laughs) There's one leader. We're not the preeminent leader. Christ is the preeminent leader. And I love what he says in verse 11, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Because in the kingdom, everything is flipped from the ways of the world. 
The one who wants to be great needs to be less. The one who puts himself first and and tries to be the preeminent one is actually going to be opposed by the Lord because he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Think about that. Galatians 5.13, he says, You were called to freedom, brethren, only don't turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's pervasive. Whether you have a role of leadership per se, you have a title or a position, doesn't matter. All of us, no matter whether you have a title or a position, and I don't care if it's in the world or in the church, the body of Christ, I don't care what it is. If you're following the Lord, guess what? You have a role of leadership. Because true leadership is not just influence. It's not just serving in order to have influence. It actually is following God so that we know what he wants us to do, when he wants us to do it, and that we're empowered in the midst of it to serve. And then we trust God with the influence, which is the fruit. You catch it? If we're not following the Lord, what kind of role of leadership do we got? Then it's about us. And that becomes devastating. Serve one another. Doesn't matter what, what you're doing in your life. It could be at, the, it could be at work, it could be at school, it, it, it doesn't matter where it is. If you're following the Lord, guess what? You're gonna have a role of leadership because other people are gonna watch you and they're gonna say, What's that relationship you got? And God will use you in the midst of that. He'll utilize you in order to reveal Himself through you into the midst of the context that He's called you into. First Peter 4:10, he says, as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. What a beautiful truth. All of us have been given a gift. If you're a believer today, you at least have one spiritual gift. Praise God. And it is not a talent. It is a Holy Spirit-empowered gift. It's a result of grace. That's what the, the word gift actually literally means. And so what do we do with it? Do we, do we make that gift about us? No, no, no. If it's truly of Christ and if we're truly walking with the Lord, what do we do? We give him honor and credit for it. And, and as we're following the Lord, what's going to happen? We begin to be led by the Lord in order to place the interests of others over ourselves. We begin to serve one another. That's the, that's the issue. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3 says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you. And again, he's speaking to elders he says, as your fellow elder and witnessing of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that's to be revealed. And he says this, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Oy. That's challenging. There's three different ideas built into that statement by Peter. There's elders. There's oversight. There's shepherding. It's fascinating, right? We're an elder form of government. Now, what does that mean? Uh, I've heard all kinds of conversations on this for many, many years, okay, because it's just been part of my conversation in terms of the body of Christ and what does the word of God say about church polity and how do we function and how has the Lord ordained that the church should function? Who are the leaders 
in the church. And, and I would suggest to you it's uh, elders, which are in effect pastors. And we've kind of done that. Uh, we've gotten some flexibility from the New Testament when it comes to how that actually uh, functions. But fundamentally, there's a, there's a leadership issue here. Now, what, what are we to be leading in? See, I would suggest that we're actually making sure that the Lord is followed. <laughs> I mean, look, if I start getting off task or if the elders start getting off task, if we all together start to, start to drive our own agendas, we trust the chief shepherd in order to correct us and admonish us and even knock us straight upside the head in order to get back in the track that he's a part of. Fundamentally, when we talk about leadership, what we're talking about is fellowship, which means we better follow the Lord. I love how my father-in-law used to put this. He said, elders aren't the only ones that hear from God. You hear from God. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. You have a personal relationship with the Lord, and you are absolutely able in Christ through the Holy Spirit to hear from God, from his word. No question. So why elders? Because elders are not just to hear from God for everybody else. Elders are to make sure that God is being heard. Does that follow? That's a whole different thing. So we, we got to wrestle with some stuff because we all have agendas. We all come to the table with our thoughts and with what we think and how we think it ought to be done. And all. <laughs> Man, sometimes it gets kind of fun. It's not so fun when I'm the one that has to be pointed out that I've got the agenda. That I don't like so much because I'm always right. <laughs> when we talk about elders, we talk about pastors. We can talk about deacons as role models of service to the flock. We can talk about teachers, our K-group leaders. We, we can go through all kinds of different uh, leadership roles. Well, let me just kind of deal with the elders and pastors. There's really three words that describe the same person, the same position if I could put it that way. And you, you find it in 1 Peter chapter 5 very clearly. There's the word elder. Uh, we get the word presbyter, presbyterian out of it. I can't tell you how many times, probably 15 years ago, not so much now, but when we, as a Southern Baptist church, we had elders and people didn't know we were a Southern Baptist church and the churches that I pastored, they, they would immediately say, are you a Presbyterian church? They say, well, no, we want to be Biblical. Let's not make the denomination the forefront of everything. Let's make sure the Word of God is the forefront of everything. But we thank God for SBC and the stand they take on the Word of God and the inerrancy of the Word of God and missions. Praise the Lord for that, right? But in the midst of it, people didn't understand because their context was that an elder or uh, somebody or, or, or something like that was a Presbyterian idea. No, it's a biblical idea. And the word presbyter or elder literally speaks to the maturity of the person in their walk with God. Simply put, that's what you do. You're not talking about a novice. You're not talking about somebody who just got saved and is going to be blown about by every wind of doctrine. They're going to walk with God. And folks, let me just encourage you in this. Elders are not perfect. I am not perfect. I love to think that I am, and I really want you to believe that I am, but I'm not. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing you ought to know, and I say this honestly, and I say it in the grace of Christ. You ought to be able to look at my life 
You ought to be able to look at Kim Christman's life and John Sondager's life, Wayne Bird's life. You ought to look at Tim Hale's life. You ought to be able to look at anybody here who has served previously as an elder or anybody that will serve as an elder. And there ought to be a consistency within their life. If I trip and stumble, which I do, ask Jonathan. <laughs> Not too much. Don't, don't ask him too much. Ask my wife. I, I trip and stumble. But what you ought to be able to do in looking at my life or anyone who is an elder and a pastor for that matter is when we do trip and stumble, you know, you know, wait for it, wait for it. The Holy Spirit's at work here. They're going to confess it. They're going to agree that they messed up, that they sinned. And they're going to get it right. See, folks, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about consistency. There's a normalizing of the Christian life. There's a recognition of what it really does look like to walk with God. And there's a unanimous working together to make sure that God is heard for the body of Christ. Uh, the word that's often used of elders, we use the word elders, but another word that's used is overseer, and it really is the word episcopal. We get that, and so then we get all these Episcopalians that go, are you Episcopalian? We say, no, we're trying to be biblical. We want to walk with God. Episcopal simply is a Greek word that means on top of the direction, very closely examining where is God leading. I, I, I haven't hunted for a long time. Wayne got me into hunting, and I love it. And I, I enjoy getting that rifle and looking through the scope. And that's what we're talking about. When we talk about episcopos, that word literally means very carefully looking through the scope in order to discern where is this thing aimed and making sure we're right on track. So we ought to be very careful to be observing what is God doing, where is he leading, and let's follow him. And thirdly, the idea of a shepherd. The word pastor really isn't used. It's the idea of a shepherd. And it has the idea of the care of the flock. The care of the flock. Those who are sick, those who are in need. And sometimes that gets delegated. Thank God for deacons. I thank the Lord for Mike Murphy and T. Hoyt and everybody that serves as a deacon because they're constantly going and helping with the sick, etc. But there ought to be at least the delegation of that to make sure that the flock is taken care of. The primary purpose is to make sure that the flock is fed the word of God because it's by the word of God that we grow. So if that's neglected, we're in a lot of trouble because how are we going to grow in the grace and the knowledge of God if we're not longing for the pure milk of the word so that by the word of God we may grow with respect to our salvation? So how do we define leadership? Well, we, we've put it in some simple ways and, and in the heart of this, the, the point is, is that Christ is first. Christ leads. We want to be a body of believers where Christ leads and we're following him. We want to have elders that guard biblical doctrine, watching over, making sure that the flock is actually being fed the truth of the word of God, right? Pastors are helping to guide specific areas of ministry in alignment with the body of Christ and where God is leading us as a body, encouraging and helping strengthen and in the midst of that, folks, guess what? We want the body to be engaged. I love hearing about things like uh, 
the noonday stuff. And I know many of you have been involved with noonday, not only financially, but actually going down there and helping serve. Last year, we gave out a lot of different backpacks because somebody in the body, Gail, came forward and said, you know, we got a great idea here. And what do you think about that? And we said, oh, praise God, that's great. How can we help? And they went and Y'all helped put together all kinds of backpacks for the kids in the area of where the rock is now located. Praise the Lord. Great idea. Wonderful opportunity for the body to be engaged. We want the body to be involved. It's important. It's not just important, folks. It's essential. And it's about the body. There are different areas of ministry, no question. But every one of those different areas of ministry ought to be working together in order to build up the body because that's why we're here. So Christ-led, elder-guarded, pastor-guided, body-engaged. How are we defining leadership? Is it about personality or performance? Well, those things may come into it. But I would suggest fundamentally in God's economy, it's about humility it's about service. Why? Because ultimately it's about following God. What does he want? Where is he leading? How are we walking with him? Where are we going? And in order to be serving, we ought to be following. Why? Because if, if we're not following God in the midst of our service, what happens with our service? Our service actually becomes about us, doesn't it? It does. It becomes about us. Look what I've done for God. Look what I'm doing for God. And then we start looking around wondering, why isn't anybody else as happy about this as I am? <laughs> right? I know you never thought that. I know you never did that. But we do, don't we? When we serve in the Lord's strength and we're following him and the service is an outflow of following him, what happens? Do we have to worry about the results? Do we have to worry about the fruit? <laughs> See, what, this is amazing. I could go a lot of different places with this, and I want to be careful because I'm not shooting at anybody. If anything, I've got, I'm saying this to myself. See, God's put me in a position where I have to teach every week because he knows that I need it the most. <laughs> That's the reality. How many times, and you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm going to raise mine, how many times as leaders have we been pressured by numbers? Now, I'm not saying numbers aren't important. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that they're not the primary issue. Oh my goodness, we, hey, parachurch organizations, ministries, when you give your report to your donors, oh, it was horrible this week. It was terrible this month. We had infighting in our staff and it was terrible. It was awful. It was horrible. We had nobody come to know Christ. Oh, please give. Keep giving. Is that the report? Oh, look what God's doing. Mean, and hey, maybe God's doing that. But what have we been conditioned to do? <laughs> Amen. You get the point. Folks, let's follow God first. Let's trust the Lord with the fruit. Let's trust the Lord with the results. Let's individually make sure we're walking with God in such a way that when God calls us to something, we immediately recognize it. We may not like it right away, but we learn to die to self so that we're following the Lord, so that the service is an outflow of that. And then in the midst of it, we go, wow, look what God's done. Look what God's accomplished. And praise the Lord for it. How do we respond? Well, we respond by faith. We respond by dying to self. We respond by serving others. How, how's the body to respond to leadership? 
Oh, now that one hurts, doesn't it? That hurts. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 17. It can hurt. I hope it doesn't hurt too bad. Come on now. All of us have had leaders that are less than what we would look at as being um, good, healthy. Some of us have had home situations where leaders in our home haven't been good or healthy. Amen? We've all experienced hurt in some way in that. The question is, how do you walk through it? How do you walk with God in the midst of that? What is the response here? Hebrews 13, 17, it's an interesting statement. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Now, what is he saying? Is he saying, if your leader is doing something unbiblically, you are to obey them no matter what? Absurd. No, of course not. There's a whole process for that. What he's saying is, as they're following the Lord... Submit to them. Submit to them. Make sure there's accountability. We're not islands unto ourselves. But make sure that you submit ultimately to the Lord in the midst of leadership. Because he's the head. Titus 2.15, Paul gives Titus a directive here that is fascinating. He says, these things speak and exhort and reprove, and he says, with all authority, let no one disregard you. That word authority literally means to command somebody to arrange them in a, such a way as to tell them what to do. <laughs> I know that's politically incorrect. We love this conversation, don't we? Come on, you guys smiling at me. I wanted to bring up a whole shield and everything else, you know? I didn't say that. God did. And how do we handle that? We're not talking about unbiblical stuff here. We're talking about submitting to the Lord in the midst of what God has done and what God has initiated and what God has commanded in order to be established. Paul's telling Titus, make sure that people follow God and make sure that they're walking according to the word of God. He's not telling Titus, come up with your plans on how to reach the world for Christ and then tell them what to do and they don't agree with it so they fight against. No. He's saying, make sure that Christ is preeminent and that we're walking with him. That's the bottom line. All of us have to submit to the Lord. We're commanded to submit to one another, right? Not just wives to their husbands. We had a conversation about that earlier. We're commanded to submit to one another, to one another's needs. We're commanded to submit to the Lord, to obey the Lord. And in the midst of that, God has given roles of leadership, and we are to submit to that. Why? Because that's what God said to do. Now, in our context and in our culture, and if I could take it very broad for a moment, Americans really resist that, don't we? I can remember years ago watching certain things on TV and it involved uh, all the, the English hierarchy, the monarchs. And I literally had the thought in my mind, it's over my dead body that I'd ever bow to one of those people. Come on now, you haven't had that thought. I mean, give me a break. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about submitting to the Lord. We're talking about walking with God and how do we do that in a way that honors 
Christ. Control and credit are two of the greatest threats for leaders, the motivation of leaders. And I understand that. I live that, folks. You can pray for me in that. Pray for our elders in that. Pray for our pastors in that. Because control and credit are always things that we, we fleshly, in our flesh, we always start struggling with. Well, the disciples did too. In Luke chapter 22, verses 24 and 5, it says, there, there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, <laughs> it happens all the time. And I don't mean in our context, but in our flesh. We want the credit. Who's going to be considered to be the best? And that, that becomes a part of the conversation. And I, I can't help but think that the Lord's going, can you go read Luke? And just take a little bit of time in there. He says to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. Right? Those who have authority over them are called benefactors, but it's not this way with you. But the one who's the greatest among you must become like the youngest, the leader like the servant. For who's greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? And then he gives himself again as the supreme example of leadership. Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. That's the Lord. Ought we not as we are transformed by him reflect him? Amen. We're commanded to lead as leaders. And that word can actually be translated as rule. But we're not talking about tyranny here, folks. We're talking about making sure that the Lord is followed by the word of God in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. Romans 12 speaks to that. He says, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality. He who leads, that word is rules, with diligence. With diligence. Why? Because it's for the sake of people. It's for the sake of the body of Christ. It's for the sake of Christ himself. Or 1 Timothy 5.17, he uses this phrase. He says, the elders who rule well. That's an interesting phrase because evidently there are at times elders who may not rule well. Now, is the ruling tyranny? No, it's leadership. It's service. And as a result, it's out of the heart of God. Out of the heart of God. Real quickly, what, what's our attitude towards authority that the Lord has placed within our lives? And I'm not just talking about the church. I'm not just talking about elders and pastors. I'm talking about kids with their parents. I'm talking about maybe at school with your teacher. I'm talking about whatever it may be, whatever your context is, it may be your boss. What's your attitude towards authority? Because I'll tell you something. When we have a wrong attitude towards authority, ultimately we have a wrong attitude towards God. Amen. That's the bottom line. And that's got to be something that the Lord has to teach us to walk in with grace. How are we trusting the Lord? Because that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. How are we trusting the Lord? No matter what. You may disagree, you may argue, you may fuss, fight, and fume, and whatever it may be, whatever the context, again, it may be job, it may be school, it may be whatever. But the reality of it is, who's the one that's responsible for placing people in positions of leadership and or what we would think of as power? It's the Lord. So if we fight against that, now I'm not saying we check our brains at the door, but if we don't walk through that in a biblical way, then what we're actually saying is we don't trust the Lord. That's the bottom line. And lastly, are we in prayer for those in authority? 
Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it? Do we do what God told us to do? Do we pray for those in authority over us, from the president to his cabinet to Chief Eden to our mayor? Do we pray for those in authority? Do we pray for our elders? Do we pray for our pastors? Do we pray that God would work, that the Lord would be glorified, and that our hearts would reflect the reality of the presence of Christ in them? True leaders, learn to follow the Lord, begin to deny self, begin to die to self, and begin to serve others. That's the picture that Christ gave to us in his time on this earth. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.